Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there, I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, five secrets to taking a break from drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there, everyone. Today, we are going to talk about breaking out of the detox to retox cycle with Jen Couch of Sober Sis. Now, you may have heard about Sober Sis. Jen is a pioneer in the movement of sober-minded living. Her work is all about making a conscious choice to be the very best version of yourself, to live in an intentional manner, creating the life you want. And sometimes that means living alcohol-free. Jen recognized that alcohol was causing some inner turmoil. It was taking up too much space in her life. And she embarked on this amazing journey to create Sober Sis. Sober Sis is a tribe of women who are gray area drinkers, no labels, no all or nothing mentality, no horror stories of DUIs and jail stints, but women who feel as though drinking is a bit more prominent in their lives than they want it to be. Sober Sis is the place to find love, acceptance, and support when you don't fit the stereotypes, 
but you want to make a change. And Jen and I met a couple weeks ago. We were both part of a summit and speakers on taking a break from drinking, breaking your habit of drinking. And I absolutely love Jen's energy, Jen's approach, and all the work she's doing for women. So Jen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This is going to be a great conversation. I'm glad to have you as my friend out there in this sober-minded world that you and I are living in. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I particularly, when we were talking, I was like, yes, we have to talk about the detox retox cycle because I know that I lived in that for a very long time. Like I was like, oh my God, I have to stop drinking but I just need to sort of reset my body and, you know, take a break and then I can drink again. And it was this endless sort of groundhog day cycle of trying to stop stopping for a short period of time, and then basically poisoning my body all over again and coming back to the same place. So to start, I gave my impression of what the detox retox cycle is, but how do you describe it in the work you do? Yeah, well, you nailed it. Uh, That sounded very familiar to me. Uh, But yeah, Casey, that was me. Exactly. I was so uh, health conscious, still am. But I mean, I was so mindful by day, so health conscious, making all these great choices and setting up my life to be so intentional and um, disciplined and doing all these right things and literally would turn right around, usually around five o'clock, that nine o'clock time, and begin almost systematically undoing all my hard work from the day for every calorie that I'd burned in yoga or walking my dog for five miles. I just boop, undid it with a bottle of Pinot Grigio. And I'm like, wow, Jen, what are you doing? And for the longest time, I really didn't understand why I kept being this yo-yo drinker instead of a yo-yo dieter. And that that's really where the cycle felt like for me. It was seriously like Groundhog Day. Yeah. And were you, I was a daily drinker. Like I was like seven nights a week, unless I was trying to cut by, then like I would make it four days and be like, screw it, you know? But like, were you daily sort of detox, retoxing, or was it more of a like couple day cycle or a couple weeks off? Yeah, that's a great question because I did it all. (laughs) I went, you know, through seasons where I was pretty much drinking every night due to opportunities presenting themselves, book club, GNO, date night with my man, a networking opportunity. Or maybe just cooking in my kitchen, a storm rolling in, time on my back patio. (laughs) Before you know it, it all adds up to just one big string of drinking opportunities. Um, But then I would go sometimes on these big, you know, whole 30 type cleanses or 10 day raw food, juice only detox. And then I would end the 10 day cleanse with like a trip through the Chick-fil-A window by day and then having my margarita that night. (laughs) Oh no, I'm back again. So whether it was one day, 10 days, I even went a whole year alcohol-free in my late thirties. I learned nothing. I used just sheer willpower, deprivation mindset, and just white knuckled my way through that year. Ironically, I felt amazing. I looked pretty good after a year of not drinking and being so much younger. And after that whole year of detox, I went back to the retox. So even I had a whole year in between the loop. 
in a so cycle. Why did you stop drinking for a year? Were you worried about it? Because I imagine you were kind of like, okay, I got to get this in check. Yes. Yes. I was starting to kind of in my heart of hearts, feel that red flag that, wow, Jen, you are really looking forward to five o'clock. I mean, you are really getting a little too excited here about your, your drinks tonight. And just, oh, I just, ironically at the time I was uh, homeschooling my kids, which is a long story. It was by choice. This was pre COVID (laughs) and um, it was just in the interim. We were making a lot of transitions in our family. And so just for the sake of, of moving and stuff, I ended up homeschooling for a short time. And there I was like mom homeschooler by day, but then I had all these bottles up in the top of my pantry to like whip out and, you know, either make a mixed drink for my husband and I at home or my bottles of wine. And even the mental conflict and the duplicity that I felt like, like, why is it up high? Well, because it's special or am I kind of hiding it? Mm -hmm. (laughs) A little bit of both. Right. And so even then I started to feel kind of like, wow, you know, this is getting too big in my life. I don't like the space it's taking up, as you mentioned earlier, just the bandwidth of like, am I going to drink? Am I not going to drink? How much am I going to drink? What do I want to portray to my kids about drinking? Yeah. Do I want to make it such an integral part of my evening? Every evening they're watching me transition from like mom, homeschooler with them all day to now I'm transitioning. It was my transition cue. And then I was kind of mindless, kind of numbed out, just kind of checked out by night. And because I was with my kids all day long, like many, many people are now, they could see almost this, you know, switch was being flipped. And I didn't like that because that was that double-minded, divided mind that I talked so much about having. That's that I was feeling like I was living a little bit of this duplicitous life. And for me, that was super unaligning. I did not like that. So that was the catalyst. I was putting on some extra pounds. I was getting close to turning 40, all those things. So I was like, babe, I looked at my hubby and I said, let's just get this out of our life and out of our house. And just for, let's do it for a year. I had no idea of any of the quit lit sober accounts out there, podcasts, nothing. It was just an idea that I had. And so I had no tools, no support, and just kind of him by my side, really to keep me on track when I wanted to go back to drinking. Because at that time he was like, yeah, sure. No problem. I'll do that with you. And so I had a buddy, I had a non-drinking buddy who ironically now resisted at all. Did he resist stopping for a year? No, which was so, uh, I find that very unique because now where I'm at, he is a drinker still and has no desire to be alcohol-free. And he's not on this personal journey with me. And nor did he start with this journey when I revisited it, revisited it almost a decade later. He was not on board. I didn't even ask him to be on board. I knew that it was going to have to be more personal. For so me. he was on board the first time, but not the second time. Correct. Yes. Did he tell you why or did you ever ask him? This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy. 
But one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. No, I didn't really ask him the first, the, I, I think the first time I really let alcohol go out of our lives, my life, um, it had just started to become such an integral part for both of us. Honestly, I don't think the claws, if you will, of alcohol were in that deep for either one of us yet. So I think it was easier for both of us to let it go at that time. Fast forward to six or seven years later, I think that, um, again, he has his own relationship with alcohol, very different than my own. Um, But I think at that point, he was he had a different relationship with alcohol than he did when we first stopped drinking, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I hear And I've that. had to really say, and that's okay. Um, at first it was difficult and I was waiting for him almost to be the change that I wanted to see in the world, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I realized, I just realized after a while, nope, this doesn't really it's not going to directly have anything to do with him. We do influence each other and we're going to have to, we're going to have to partner through this with a lot of communication, but my lane is not going to be his lane. And I know you've dealt with this as well. Well, and so I wanted to say to anyone who is listening to this, who's like, I really, I'm scared to stop. I don't want to stop. I'm worried about stopping because my partner still drinks and we've been drinking buddies our whole lives, our whole relationship. And that's what we do together. Like that was our lives too. I mean, my husband and I, he still drinks as well. Um, Not like I did. Like we used to go out to a restaurant and he'd have one beer while I'd have three glasses of wine and, you know, really be wanting to signal the waitress to get the third glass before it gets awkward, right? Before it's like clear, we need the check. But you know, he certainly has a beer or two every night. And I never really asked him to stop. Um, I think that I would have, if I hadn't been able to finally stop on my own. You know, the issue was, I never, I did struggle to stop for a long time, but my drink of choice was wine, particularly red wine, but um, I couldn't have any wine at my house. And because he drank beer, that was not I wasn't going to grab his beer and drink it, you know, and so that I wouldn't buy him beer for the longest time. And, you know, but, but it is possible to stop if you are clear with your husband or your partner or whoever about what your boundaries are and what you need for support, you know, do you agree with that? Yeah. 
I do. And I think that's an important message that we're sending out there is, um, you know, it's okay to let other people be other people, let, let other people have their own journey. And that even means, you know, in your own relationship. But I love that you brought up boundaries. You and I were talking about that before we hit record, how important boundaries are. And that was one area that I was really lacking in was having good boundaries and such a, I'm like a recovering people pleaser. Oh my God, me too. Um, I'm hundred percent a recovering people pleaser. And I think a lot of women who drink too much are people pleasers slash a lot of the women I work with are the awesome people pleaser overachiever combination. Um, So you want harmony and you want people to like you and you don't want to do anything that might inconvenience them or do you know what I mean? Exactly. Oh, oh, exactly. That's where I was. And I, I just didn't have real clear lines of where, you know, I ended and someone else began. It was just kind of, uh, I think when people in my family, particularly my husband and our two kids, when they would kind of push up against me, sometimes I was just so soft. It just, just, they could just roll me over instead of going, nope, I, I, I don't want to do that. Or I need to leave. Yeah. Or can we take separate cars? Yeah. <laughs> well, and before. also like it leads <laughs> to resentment, right? You never ask for what you need. And right. then you're kind of irritated, resentful. I know when I stopped, I was a mom with an eight-year-old and a two-year-old and we both worked and uh, full-time and my husband is also a baseball coach and a basketball coach and he plays on a men's league right so I had work and kids and he had work baseball basketball his own baseball league and he went on fishing trips three times a year right and so I was like pissed. Like I felt like I got the dregs of whatever time or energy was around. And I was constantly asking him, oh, would it be okay if I go here? Or would it be okay if I go to this yoga class? And then I would be like, oh my God, drinking is my only treat. It's my only reward, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It was my nightly reward. So I got a lot of it, right? Totally. Oh my gosh, Casey, I'm so relating to what you're saying because that was my life very much so too. It was almost like drinking was like my little guilty pleasure. Don't take it away. Don't touch it. I oh kind my of God, was me very too. protective of it. Like really. And, and that's part of why I really struggled most with drinking at home, often alone. Oh my God, I did. Sounds terrible, I know, but I know we're all blended out there or have done it because that's where I felt like I could just be free without judgment and without someone else counting my drinks or any of that. It was like back off, stand down. This is my time, me time, mommy time. I'm on the back patio. I'm cooking, I'm serving you, I'm cooking your dinner. Now I'm cleaning it up. Now I'm going to go take a bath. And, and I'm going to have my little friends. So you would bring all like the, the wine up to the bathroom thing. while you're taking your bath? Oh, yeah. Oh. That was the end of the bottle, was in the bathtub. So for me, it was always on the couch. You know, kids are finally in bed. I was clearly three glasses in by that point, right? Because, but I would like have glass four, glass five, and then, you know, just be watching whatever show, right? Basically having a party by myself on my couch. 
And then I would jump up if my husband, you know, this is near the end. If my husband would go say goodnight to my son, I would like sprint up having not moved in an hour, like open a second bottle of wine, pour a glass real quick, run back to the couch. Like who knew I could move that fast, like a fucking rabbit. And then be like, oh, honey, I'm still here. Like, and in the back of your mind, you're like, I'm only doing this so he doesn't judge me because he's so judgy, right? It's not because I'm hiding this shit because more than a bottle is crazy. Right. It would have nothing to do with us, of course. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. And did you like wake up and kind of feel like crap and try to overcompensate? Because that was me. Oh, Casey, absolutely. I was that high high achiever, high performer, driven type A. Okay, now we're going to shut it down, close it down. Don't overthink. I'm going to use even I even used alcohol as a form of a sleep aid in my mind. Oh, yeah, me too. Like 20% of drinkers do. I was in that stat as well. Where I was like, but I needed to stay awake. Oh, and I needed to fall asleep too. So, yeah. um, oh man, that And I needed to pick me up because I'm so tired. And <laughs> And then when you get away from it, that's when you're like, oh my God, I sleep better. I have more energy. But when you're in it, it's very hard to correlate all of this together that the anxiety, the feeling of dread, the flat out just defeat that's that's so heartbreaking within yourself. It's like you've broken, you've breached this code within yourself of letting yourself down at such a degree that you just can't even scrape yourself up off the floor in your yeah. mind. And you're just laying there at 3am going, Oh no, I've got to get up and do this all over again in four hours. Yeah. Oh man. And I oh, would just God. lay there and it was so dark and so quiet and so still. All I had was me and my thoughts. And they were the very things I was trying to numb out from or avoid just, you know, hours earlier. And they all came rushing back in yeah. with just yeah. that deeper dread. And yeah. uh, that's where the shame storm comes in. And there's no one there. And then in that moment to give you the empathy <laughs> that Brene Brown talks so much about having. Well, because you're trying so hard to have no one see what's really going on. That's right. And, and like you, it was all about waking up, shaking it off, posturing, pulling it up, getting it back together because I could. I was high functioning, getting everything done. In fact, overcompensating and even getting more done than I probably should or could in a given day to compensate for my lack thereof. And, and yeah, those good intentions, those promises, I would just double down on myself with the pressure. When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, relief, and to reduce inflammation. Tanasi creates the highest quality, scientifically validated CBD and hemp extract products. Tanasi's formula includes a unique combination of CBD and CBDA in every dose, which is two times more effective 
than just CBD alone. So if you want to create a sense of calm, to calm your mind, to relax before bed for a great night of sleep, try Tanasi. Tanasi is being really generous with our listeners. You can go to Tanasi.com and use code HELLO to get 25% off at checkout right now. That's T-A-N-A-S-I dot com to get 25% off your first order with the promo code HELLO and get ready to sleep well. Like you would never let yourself rest because you were feeling guilty that you knew you were hungover. So you're like, I can't rest because that then, you know, you're, I mean, I would never rest. I was like, I'm a real loser for sure. Yeah. 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 I know. And I mean, I used to, which is insane. I used to always, you know, I was, you know, gaining weight, trying to lose weight, you know, doing the diets, but like having five glasses of wine a night, but like (laughs) eating like very little during the day. And I would get up at five 30 in the morning, like three times a week to do this boot camp, like this hit boot camp with a bottle of wine in my belly doing like burpees. And it was so fucking awful. It was terrible. And I'd be like, no, I have to do this. Right. It's almost like your punitive, you know, punishment of like paying your dues, like paying the Pied Piper. That's how I looked at my hot yoga. I was like, well, oh my God, hot oh. yoga hungover. I cannot imagine oh, how brutal that oh, would be. Casey, I did so many Bikram yoga, 90 minute, 110 degree classes, feeling like crap. Just sweating out. Just pushing myself through in an effort to detox myself. Yeah. yeah. So, and then, and then about 3 p.m., now, now we're back in the cycle, 10 a.m. Oh no, I'm not drinking tonight. And maybe I wouldn't drink that night. Maybe I would feel bad enough that I wouldn't drink that night. And I would remember, like, remember yeah. how bad you feel, Jen. But then for the most part, you know, it, I just kind of work it through. And um, yeah, it was about 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. That the wine, witch would start kind of calling my name and like, oh, you're overreacting now. You've, you've, you know, you're just doing the mom thing. You know, it's, it's the groundhog day of just, you know, drinking. It's no big deal. You deserve it. And maybe you're just getting older and it's just harder for you. So just, you know, buy the party smart capsules at the checkout and just, you know, water, wine, water, wine, you know, face yourself out better. And again, many times, sadly, I could drink three or four glasses and it not affect me to the point that I had a lot of regret the next day. Yeah. Yeah. And then other times I could have two glasses and it would completely knock me on my butt. And I'm like, what happened? I'm the room spinning and I feel terrible. It doesn't even make any sense. It was very unpredictable. Mm-hmm. To me, and that kind of scared me. My high need for control <laughs> was I, ironically part of why I was drinking was to let go of a little bit of my control. Yeah. But I also completely lost control because I couldn't control this beverage, this elixir that tended to have a different effect on me at different times. And so, mm-hmm. ironically, I felt more out of control drinking. Yeah. No, I mean, I did the same thing. I wanted to shut my mind down because I was like very, you know, hyper aware, hyper vigilant, trying to make sure that like nothing fell through the cracks from my kids sports appointments to doctor's appointments to work stuff to emails to like, I mean, I remember very 
consciously, like I have to set the coffee for the morning and all of my alarms on my phone before I have glass number four. Like that was very clear in my mind because I can't fuck up and not wake up tomorrow. You know, you and I are so similar. I mean, it's, and I think a lot of it is personalities, you know, in, in what we get to do. I've, I've gotten to run across a lot of different people and personalities. And um, in my alcohol-free lifestyle course, we take a week and we talk about our identity. And one of the things we touch on is the Enneagram. And oh, I love the Enneagram. I did a podcast episode on it. Oh, I'm a huge Enneagram person. So I'm a one as you. I'm a three. <laughs> okay. Got it. I thought the I was doer. a three for the longest time. Yeah. So I understand threes really well. So I'm a one with a strong nine wing. Okay. So tell but me about I, what that means. What's a one? So the one is known as the uh, perfectionist and or the reformer. Mm-hmm. Ones love things done right and things done uh, well and correctly. And there's kind of a kind of a moral rectitude to a one of justice and and really following through doing the right thing, having a lot of integrity, which again, for me as this drinker that was living this double life, I felt like my personal integrity, my alignment was so off because mm-hmm. I knew it wasn't aligning with really my core values, my my faith, my faith walk was completely like, wait, what? You know, you say you're a Christian and and again, this isn't about making drinking a sin or right or wrong moralistically, but where my heart was is where I was challenged because I said my heart was trusting God, but was it really when I was pouring that third glass? Who am I trusting then? Yeah. God, I'm trusting the bottle. And that for me, it was a real red flag because that wasn't wholehearted at all. I love that. And I love that in your, in your course, you spend time on identity because I think each one of us sort of drinks for a different reason. Like there's a different impetus there. Like for some people, it's social anxiety for other people. It's, you know, wanting to have more fun. And for me being a three, you know, my core desire, I'm looking at my Enneagram now, it's like the doer, but it's like, core desire, being valuable, being successful, being admired, being Mm -hmm. praised, like mostly praised, I would say. And the idea is that like, I need to do in order to earn love, right? Like if, um, if I'm seen as, you know, confident, competent, efficient, fast paced, multitasking, then I will be worthy and loved and included and sort of kept around. Well, that's fucking exhausting. It's so exhausting. And then the only time I felt like I could relax was when I had some wine in me and I just like went to my quote unquote happy place. And of course I was happy for two hours and felt like complete (laughs) talking shit to myself the other 22 hours. Exactly. Exactly. And as an Enneagram one, the message I hear is my worth and value is because I'm good. I'm a good Mm. person. I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. I'm good. And I bring goodness into the world, but uh uh-oh, I can't always bring goodness in the world. And I also, as a one, we see all the things that need improving. 
we look around, we're the person that walks in the room. We're like, wow, it's asymmetrical. That pillow's off. Hmm. I think I can reframe. <laughs> I think this, you know, this frame needs to be, needs to be straightened. We notice this in everything in the world around us in the people around us and mainly in ourselves. Yeah. So we're really looking to improve and constantly fix and make better. And so that's exhausting as well. And so for me, that checkout numb out was like, oh, I can relax because I don't have to fix it all. I can't fix it. And I had teenagers when I was really at the height of my struggle, (laughs) not to blame them, but there was a myriad of things that I couldn't fix that I felt like I couldn't improve because it was out of my control. And so for me, drinking was a huge release of that pressure that I was putting on And it's so counterintuitive, right? Because you drink to shut your mind off so that you can relax. And then drinking also triggers anxiety and inability to cope and being strung so thin, you feel like everything's overwhelming. So it's like this catch 22 that, you know, when you stop drinking, it gets a lot better, but you still also have to find other coping skills to deal with the very real pressures in your life. Yeah. Cause those feelings can still be there. My challenges didn't go away. Yeah. And my, my main personality, you know, I mean, I think our core really stays the same. We can, we can get to a more healthy level in our identity. We don't have to stay unhealthy and we can fluctuate there, but I mean, who we are, Um, We just want to be the best version of ourselves. And so, yeah, learning how, which has been such a process, again, um, learning how to deal with these negative realities and all the things that I see in this world that I would love to improve and fix and bring goodness to, um, it'll drive you crazy. It'll drive you. I know that you are already doing all those things. Like I can see (laughs) as you stop drinking, you are you know, helping so many people and doing so many amazing things and really fulfilling your potential. I mean, I really feel like so many women are keeping everything up, like they're holding everything up when they're drinking. And once they kind of put that giant weight down, they're able to finally sort of fulfill that potential, become who they were meant to be. That's so true. I mean, it really is through my own struggle and weakness which again, as a one or a three, especially both of our numbers, um, the fact that, you know, we are finding our purpose and our passion and our message through areas where we didn't feel like maybe we were achieving or doing that well has turned out to be the very fuel that we need to connect with other people because, you know, if if it can happen to so-called us, well, it can happen to anyone. And, oh, and it does. It happens it to everyone. So anyone listening to this, if you're like, what's wrong with me? You know, why can't I cope? Why can she drink normally? Like you are not alone. And Jen, I know you do a 21 day reset in sober sis, like thousands of women, right? Thousands of women just like us um, struggle with this. Like, you know, it's the alcohol. It is not you. That's right. I so needed to hear that early on because I'd never heard that before. I thought it was such a moral failure. Yes. And like, get it together, Jen. 
Oh my God. I literally woke up every morning and like basically, you know, (laughs) looked at the wine bottle, looked at how much was left and on a constant loop, I would be like, get your shit together, Casey. Get it together. Oh, I was so frustrated with myself and I thought, well, get it together because you can get all these other aspects of your life together. Why can't you get this together? Oh, I know. And I didn't realize what I was up against as far as the chemicals and the substance itself. I had no idea why I was craving and and how the craving cycle worked. I didn't understand any of that. I just thought I was a bad person or making bad choices and I just needed to be better. So (laughs) since you mentioned that, tell us, teach us about the craving cycle. Yeah. Well, First off, alcohol really does, and I forgot now who I heard this from, or it's just flat out science, but alcohol really does create a thirst for itself. So uh, that's the thing is when you're drinking it, we don't realize that when we step away, we're going through a mini withdrawal situation, whether that's just overnight or Monday through Thursday before the next weekend again. It's a, it's a little mini withdrawal. And that withdrawal for most gray area drinkers or people kind of caught in the middle of the drinking spectrum, which is really almost unbearable because it's not bad enough, but it's also not good enough. And so, whoa, you're in this no man's land of like still getting stuff done, high functioning. It's really lonely and painful. So I think that's where the majority of people are because they haven't hit that rock bottom. And um, so that withdrawal, we typically think of, ooh, alcohol withdrawal is, you know, the shakes and the tremors and you need a detox. Yes, down the drinking spectrum you do, but when you're in the middle of the drinking spectrum, nope, it just feels like a lot of anxiety, restlessness, and like something's just kind of missing. And so when we go for that drink again, we're getting such a huge dopamine hit. It is firing off all cylinders on that reward center that says, oh, this is how you alleviate the feeling. This is the cure. When yeah, really it creates the low the and then you need the substance to get back yeah. to even baseline. You just That's don't feel well without it. To me, yeah. it's just sneaky that yeah. um, that it itself is creating the problem. Yes. And also trying to become the solution. And that's and what the craving The, the only is. way to, to let those cravings become less is to get more time away from it. Like you said, to get right. out of the detox, retox cycle. I call it the drinking cycle, right? Yeah. Drink, hit the low the next day, come back up barely to baseline, drink again, like that constant loop. Of like, I, women, I, I actually seven to 10 days, give mm-hmm. me that, give me half of the 21 day reset before you're even out of the physical craving cycle. Yes. Let's give it seven to 10 days or you're, or you're just never even getting out of the cycle when you're a drinker out there and you're kind of trying to quote, be good, you know, and do the right thing or stay on your diet and you're not drinking Monday through Thursday. And then you binge drink on the weekends or hit it hard in front of your Netflix show you're never getting out of the craving cycle on a physical level. And so that's why it's so defeating because then it feels so good on that fourth or fifth day. If you've deprived yourself all week. And you're like white knuckling it all week. You're just relating to drink again. It's like double, which just reinforces the reward to your brain. And that's why I say, you know, that first seven to 10 days of being alcohol free 
is something I personally don't want to repeat again. I never want to repeat that again because that's where I lived for about five years, repeating, 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 whether it was one day or one week in between, it was still a repetition because I rarely went over 10 days without a drink. That was definitely. And that's just about when it starts getting better. Right. right. Like, and I never gave myself the chance. I, I want to say it was Claire Pooley. I'm not sure who talked about the obstacle course and how mm-hmm. we keep repeating almost like the hardest part of the obstacle course again and again, instead of just yeah. climbing the wall, getting on the other side and then keep going. Well, and also you feel like if you're doing that, you're like, I fucking hate it when I don't drink. I'm irritable. I'm annoyed. Right. I'm right. angrier. Like some people will say to me, I'm nicer when I drink than I am when I'm not. And I'm like, yeah, that's just the first two weeks. Like if you're doing your first two weeks, I tell women I work with, like, you may feel rage, like you will be extra sensitive, completely irritated, pissed off that you're not drinking because you're feeling like you're denying yourself and your, your emotional stability is all over the place, but get past those first two weeks and it really gets better. I actually have a quick story. In my first couple of weeks, my husband and I went to a Mexican food restaurant. And uh, boy, everything that you just said, I experienced. I was not going to drink that night because I was on whatever day, you know, 10 or whatever. It was very early on. He ordered his beer, which was fine. I was really trying to stay in my own lane. His beer is his beer. My choice is my choice. And so I tried to order an alcohol-free margarita Mm -hmm. and they came to the table and they were like, I'm sorry, ma'am. All of our margarita mix is already pre-mixed with tequila in it. Like we don't, we can't do that. And, And I was like, wow, shot down arrows, you know, shots fired. I can't even order an alcohol-free margarita here. Wow. And I really want the real thing. So I went to the bathroom just to kind of get a grip. And Casey, I'll be honest, I I shed a tear there in the bathroom stall. I was like grieving kind of like the death of of what I wanted. Like I just had to kind of kill it right then. And I didn't know if I could do that forever. But in that moment, it was just don't drink, Jen. Just don't drink. It's the hardest thing in that first little bit. And I was like, I was so determined and I was really working on a strong why, why am I not drinking? Because I already know the outcome. I already know if I go out there and order a margarita, I know what's going to happen. I know. And then you have to do those 10 days again, which are the worst days at that point. I mean, even a week or two. And, um, and I went back out, you know, I kind of like, dried off my little, my one tear that fell. And we didn't want a complete cry session, but it was like a moment where I was like, wow, this is hard and I can't get what I want. And I'm even trying to do the right thing. This sucks. And I went back out to the table and my husband had already ordered a second drink and he didn't even know that I was struggling. Yeah. Because again, I was so used to posturing and so used to minimizing my struggle that he didn't even know how big I was, how much I was struggling. I didn't even know how much I was struggling until there I was. And I was like, Oh babe, it's okay. You know, enjoy your Dos Equis or Tecate, whatever it was. But I just want you to know I'm struggling right now. And I was able to talk through it. Of course I got home and I remembered going to bed that night, just going, wow, that was a close one. That was intense, but I have my sober mind and it is my superpower. And I will go to bed tonight with sober mind and I will not regret not drinking the next day. 
When I call that like a breakdown breakthrough moment, like where you build a really big sober muscle where you desperately want to drink and you don't, and then you wake up the next day and it's like, sometimes it's like this big weight has lifted. Yes. I felt so much stronger because I, I did it. I made it through and now it's memorable to me. And it's a story I do tell often to other women who are in that time frame because it's important when you've been alcohol free, you know, as long as you and I have, we've been walking this journey for a while. Oh, I can instantly remember. And I'm really glad that God has allowed those memories almost to be seared into my brain. Yeah. Because I can remember that and mm-hmm. all the highs and lows emotionally of that time. And I'm so grateful for just every day, just sticking with it. Well, what I think is very cool is a lot of the work you do is around really supporting women in those first really difficult three weeks, right? I mean, you do 21 days. I seriously think most women I work with, obviously those are really hard. And a lot of times people break around day 16 or 18, like once they hit day 20, 21, they kind of cruise for a little while, like milestones are tricky, but they've gotten like away from the physical cravings. And then you're like working on the mindset and the habit. So it doesn't take that long to feel better. But what do you think is really important in those first 21 days to help women kind of get through day four and day five and day 10? Yeah. Uh, One word, connection. Mm. Connection is so key. And I'm sure you've seen the TED talk where um, he talks about connection really is the antidote to addiction. Yeah, And I have seen that firsthand in my own life, but really working with so many women in, in this amazing tribe, the support, we use an app called Marco Polo. Mm-hmm. And so there's instant support when someone is facing a, a struggle or a temptation or just wanting to hit the eject button. How many people are in Marco Polo within your group at a time? Is it small groups or like big? Nope. We break them up into smaller groups. Believe it or not, we put about 20 people in a Marco Polo group. Okay. Sounds like a lot, but really with the amount of engagement. It's not huge. Yeah, it's not huge. And so we have multiple Marco Polo groups per monthly reset. Mm -hmm. And um, I work closely with Marco Polo. I mean, like, we, we've really taken their app to the next level and created hundreds upon hundreds of groups over, over this amount of time. But yeah. That is where the connection piece comes alive with another person like you and me right now, you know, we're zooming while you're recording how connecting this is. Imagine if you and I were in our first month, not drinking and yeah. found each other. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're so cool. You're so getting it done and you're struggling too. And I can talk to you about it. And you'd understand. And while you're strong, maybe while I'm struggling and maybe I'm really strong while you're struggling, maybe we're both struggling at the same time. And there's, there's kind of an identification in that too. Yeah. So let's don't drink together because this is really hard. And man, that is a game changer. I, I hear you because when I was quitting drinking, I was a member like of this secret, not drinking Facebook group called the BFB. And I like posted there on day five and I posted there, you know, afterwards, like we had a little group where it was called the like hundred day challenge and every So I found, I call them my sober litter mates, you know, like we all started around the same time, but 
meeting other women who are also on the alcohol-free path and get it and seeing that they're super cool too and like finding genuine relationships, that's huge because most of us, everyone in our community drinks, like we designed it that way. Our friends, our husband, you know, it's yeah, and drinkers tend to often you don't know anyone. Yeah, what? because it's our activity. You know, it's what it's what we do. It was it was my activity um, with most friends and and my hubby. So to depart yeah. from that and and change it up was so counterculture, as well as just so contrary to my own habits that I had to replace old habits with new habits and kind of my old way of thinking and talking and participating in life at five o'clock had to look different. Yeah. So what about those new habits? Cause I'm really big on like habit change and your behavior change. So talk about that five o'clock and sort of what you recommend to women. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I have a free guide out there. If you go to sobersys.com, it is my five tips and tricks for wine o'clock. And one of the first things I say is pre-decide. Like you can't just kind of like, now this is going to be different than willpower and white knuckling it. Cause we yeah. all pre-decided at 10 AM that we're not going to drink that night, but what do you do at 5 PM? And that's where you have to really go to those habits. And I'm sure much like you teach and what you've done is I started flipping things around when I had the most um, willpower it was in the morning, but it's yeah. fatigable. Decision fatigue is a real thing. And so I would make my decisions less at 5 p.m., not more. I don't need to make things harder for myself and go, well, I'm not drinking now. What do I drink? I need to have an alternative. I need to have a plan. And so whether that's getting out of my kitchen during that time um, and having something already made, Mm -hmm. if that means walking my dog in the evening instead of in the morning, if that means I go to the grocery store at 10 a.m. instead of 3 p.m. Oh, my God. Huge. Do not go to the grocery store when you're do hungry not. and close yeah. to happy if hour. Like, there, forget it. Casey and I, do not go to the grocery store while you're hungry right before one o'clock. You're going to get blasted because there are so many points of purchase. Um, I was a marketing major, so I just, sometimes I talk like marketing terms, points yeah. of purchase. But seriously, there are so many places to buy alcohol in like my local Target here. There are 25 places within the store separate from each other to buy alcohol. So if you said no to the Prosecco by the blueberries when you first walked in, yeah. uh, it's over by the time you get to the cash wrap in the 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 front aisle where they're selling you Oreos and the $5 bottle of wine, it's over unless you pre-decided and pre-planned. I used to go to the grocery store in the morning on the weekends, usually after I ate breakfast and I would put in like a sober podcast, you know, like this one, like the bubble hour while I was going in the store to just in my earbuds, like listening (laughs) to it. And then I would also, this is going to date me so much, but, um, Okay, so I'm 46, 45. I don't want a couple months to <laughs> yeah, give myself some benefit. <laughs> but when I was little, like eight or 10, there was this song called Poison, like with a dance going to it. It was like, that girl is poison. Oh, I know anyway, yeah. I used to sing it to myself in the grocery store when I'd like go by the wine aisle. I'd be like, that shit is poison. <laughs> you know, like the, I had lyrics for the whole song. But That's it so helps, funny. right? It's so hard not to pick something up. 
Oh, I, yeah. You listen to your music and podcasts in the store. That's so smart. I actually, sometimes I would just stare it down. I'd go, I'd purposely go down the wine or beer aisle and just look at it. And yeah. I'm like, I see you. I see you. I see you. <laughs> Can I talk it down? <laughs> yeah. And I was yeah. like, I'm not scared to you, man. I see you. I'm on to you. <laughs> and then all I could see was just a bottle of poison, like you said. And I was yes. like, yeah, yeah. It was almost like I brought it closer to tell it no, because yeah. before when I tried to quit or take breaks, my goal was to like get away from it so far that I didn't even acknowledge its presence or learn about it. And now yeah. I'm like, oh, come on in, come yeah. in a little closer. All right. I was the opposite. I avoided it, but whatever works. And I would not buy my husband now. It doesn't matter to me. I'm perfectly happy. But for my first six months, I would not buy my husband beer. Like, you know, I would go to the store and I'd be like, nope, not buying you that because I was jealous that he was drinking and I didn't want to pick it up. And I was a little bit like, fuck you. If you want to buy beer, go ahead, but I'm not doing it for you. Well, I haven't bought alcohol either in four years. You haven't. So I buy it for my husband now, but to this day, five years later, I don't have wine in my house because I don't drink it. And my husband knows beer. And I was like, fuck that. No way. Same here. Don't have it in my house. Now he has his beer fridge in the garage or in the man cave. But you don't buy it. But I don't buy it. If someone wants to BYOB it into my house, because that is their drink of choice, I'll open it, I'll pour it, and then I'll send you home with it. Well, I do the same thing. And by the way, speaking of boundaries, those are strong, good, healthy boundaries. Like I always tell people, I'm like, hey, if you want to come over or like if I'm having a party, I'm like, we have X, Y, Z, you know, we have these drinks, you know, mentioned a couple. Um, If you want to bring wine or beer, go ahead. BYOB. And it is not awkward or uncomfortable or bad. Like when I used to go to parties, I would always bring a bottle of two or wine. Guess what? Because I wanted to have enough. So, you know, it is no big deal to just be like, here's what we have, BYOB. And then at the end of the night, you can be like, oh, here, take this with you. You know, like totally natural. Yes, I agree. And that's exactly what I do as well. So, yeah, I don't I don't purchase it because and if I'm gifted it uh, personally, this is just my choice. I don't really tend to re-gift it. I just kind of chunk it. Oh, I, my husband knows, well, you know, everybody knows I don't drink that, but I would re-gift it because I would come into work and like, (laughs) we'd have a big, big win and there would be like bottles of champagne or wine at everyone's desk. And I would be like, oh, "Oh, actually I don't drink. Why don't you, you know, take this. And in the early days I'd be like, I'm doing a health challenge here, gift to you, which by the way, makes you popular. But now my husband gets <laughs> gifted stuff at school because he's he works in a school and and parents always gift him stuff. And right. he just gifts it if it's wine, he does not bring it home. And he just gifts yeah. it to like his admin or a teacher who did a great job. So it's not a big deal. And the other thing I want, I know you're big on mocktails and I want to talk about that. But like going to parties I always bring my own drinks, right? I always like, I love non-alcoholic beer. Some people aren't cool with that, but I love it. Or like groovy, like non-alcoholic Prosecco or bubbly. But in the same way that I used to bring two bottles of wine to events, I feel no awkwardness bringing my own beverages. I'm happy to share, but I'm just like, oh, here's, I brought my own. You know, what do you think about that? 
Totally. I agree with you. And I do think it's a personal choice and you've got to do what works for you. For me, in a beer, um, mocktails, or even just all of these new zero proof options out there that aren't even mocktails per se, they're really intricately made zero proof drinks that are so new on the market that they're that they're unheard of. I, I yeah, love it. It's I, exploding. I love I that all so the, and by the way, there is a market there for non-alcoholic stuff. You are not alone. They can't keep this you. stuff in stock. Like I'm going to try to buy stuff and they're like yeah. sold out pre-order. And I'm like, what? I know. I know. I buy uh, stuff here locally at Total Wine. And mm-hmm. a lot of times they're sold out of some of Oh my, my God. I will not go into Total Wine. I am impressed by you because I just... <laughs> It's an, I go to the grocery store and they actually have really good non-alcoholic beer there now, not like O'Doul's and crap. Like I love athletic brewing company, but, and I'll order online. Like, you know, everybody has free shipping, but like, I don't think I would go into total wine. Like that's too too much a PTSD or something. It is a total trip because uh, it's actually, it's, I really enjoy it because, and then again, this is just my mindset and this is what works for me. So again, know thyself and do, do what works for you. And if that's not going into a liquor store, especially early on. Um, so I probably didn't do this my first six months. This was probably later on that I'm like, yeah, I'm going to total wine. Cause I used to go into total wine just to sample throughout the store. So I could get a buzz on while I was buying. Oh yeah. Whatever I was buying. So I get it. I mean, it's a big deal, but now I walk in and I'm like, look at all this poison (laughs) and what a huge industry this is. And I have so much choice in here because I, I don't choose that. I don't, but I do choose this. And so instead of walking in and saying, I can't, I can't, I can't have, I walk in and I say, I get to go to the alcohol free section and I get to support them in an alcohol store where I want to cast my vote that says there is consumer demand. There is a product need for this. I'm kind of, I kind of look at it like, and again, that's the reformer part of me. Yeah. One, I guess I'm like, I'll cast my vote in total wine for groovy and athletic and all I could go on and on with ritual and all the names because I also want my voice to be heard in there. And then I, and then I go up towards the cash wrap to pay out and it's all in a stuff. And I'm sure people are like, wow, she's really loading up. Yeah, I am. And they have that little bin where all the two, three ounce bottles are for your purse or the the airplane or whatnot. And they're all jumbled in there. And it looks so gross to me to see these little vials of poison that people take just to, just to get them through 20 minutes. I mean, if even, and I look at it and I feel so free. I feel such a gratitude and a humility in my heart of like, oh my gosh, God, thank you that I'm so free that I look at that and that no longer appeals to me. And it almost solidifies even deeper my, yeah. not only my resolve, but my authentic freedom because yeah. it makes me just leave there like, oh my gosh, look at all I just got to buy and look at all the ways that I got to exercise my control and power for good and to feel yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. And so for anyone listening to this, like in your first six months, do not go into a liquor store or Total Wine if you <laughs> do not think that's healthy. Because I could see for me, that would be a huge trigger and just unnecessarily making me long for shit. 
But I also want to say what you said about feeling freedom. I know so many women listening to this are like, oh my God, am I going to long for this and not have it to have that longing, that jealousy, that desire for the rest of my life? And the answer is no, you will not always feel the way you feel right now. You will absolutely get to that point where you're like, fuck that. I don't want that. And you don't have that craving and you don't have that desire. Like exactly what Jen was talking about. Like, you'll just be like, oh God, that used to make me really sick. I do not want that in my life anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And it's liberating and it is a process. It is a process. And so I'm glad you said that too, to be patient with yourself. And if you're not feeling that way yet, and it's been weeks or months, just keep going. I really think that first year is really key to do everything for the first time. That's that's a little sacred space that first year Um, where everything's a first it's, it's like flexing that muscle every chance you get, but also not going and walking into a gym and lifting a hundred pound barbell. I mean, like, don't do that. You're going to break your arm. Well, and a lot of times your fear of event is, is more than it is, but you do have to give yourself the chance to like prepare for it, like mentally and even the stuff you buy, the stuff you bring, who you tell you're not drinking, like someone's first vacation to Mexico or someone's first wedding or holiday with your parents, like, you know, really being aware of what is going to be difficult, what is triggering, what support you need. Like if people have a lot of conflict with their family and their family drinks a lot, like rent an Airbnb nearby and use whatever excuse you have or need. And you can have, you'll probably be happier. Cause by the way, if you have issues with your family, like, you know, forget about the drinking, you will probably just enjoy the holidays more, but like, you know, spend the money you used to spend on alcohol to do things that will bring you genuine comfort and joy and ease. You know, that's so true. Reallocate. That's what I always tell people. I'm like, reallocate. Yeah. And that's so true. I love that uh, suggestion on when you're traveling or, or around family is to give yourself a high amount of autonomy and boundaries there just to give yourself the space so that you're just, you can kind of come up for air if that's a high triggering situation, which yeah. it often is. So I know so much of your work, which I absolutely love is those first three weeks, those first 21 days. I know you have another program that's longer, but yeah. When you're in the detox retox cycle and in your course, like what are the pieces that are really key that you run through that you think help women break out of that? Yeah. Well, everything in in both the 21 day reset and in the AFL alcohol free lifestyle course, both of those start with our why it's so foundational to figure out really why we are drinking. Why is it that we don't want to drink or want to drink less? And again, I think women enter in the 21 day reset with the goal of just, you know, kind of tapping the brakes and learning how to drink less or not at all. So it's a very wide gate there at the beginning to really say, hey, do you want just a place to wrestle with this out loud and just even talk about your relationship with alcohol without having to decide never? I'm never drinking again, right on, right when you start. It's almost Mm -hmm. like, well, I just need to take a 21 day break 
so that I can get some tools. So in the 21 day reset, I really share the best of what I found that worked for me initially, kind of curating really from from all of the experts and podcasts and programs and all the things I've learned, how I took that into my own experience and kind of made it work for me. And so we talk about topics like um, mindset, uh, marketing to women, how to deal with social things, um, what to do if your spouse drinks, how to handle that. Um, I talk a lot about guilt around drinking. Um, Do we really even drink for the taste What do we do with anxiety and stress and how does alcohol specifically impact that? I feel like the 21 days is really just looking at alcohol so differently. And that's kind of my guarantee, if you will, Mm -hmm. my, my, my guarantee from the 21 day reset is that you will never look at alcohol the same. I'm trying to disrupt the, the status quo in your life and the living on autopilot or the feeling just hopeless because you feel so defeated and you don't even know where to start. If you could have some connection and get some new understanding of what alcohol really is and what it's really doing to you, then you're going to feel more empowered to make a better choice. And so um, I talk about the pitcher plant that I learned from Alan Carr and how we just buzz around the top of drinking like, well, I can leave at any time and you can until you can't. And so I talk a lot about that and just, you know, I learned from Jolene Park when I watched her TED talk, really this new concept of gray area drinking. And I I educate other women as to this, this is a real thing and um, deprivation mindset and just the war inside. I love that. I mean, I absolutely do. And that was one of the reasons I started this podcast, right? Because we've been so brainwashed, not just from marketing, although that is insane once you open your eyes to it, but also just like we're in this sort of circular firing loop where we've bought in, our friends have bought in, our parents have brought in, society has bought in to all the stories we're told that like alcohol has this like privileged required place in our lives that that we need it, that life is less fun without it, et cetera. And nobody is talking about all the things you talked about. Like I brought Jolene Park onto the show. She did an episode on gray area drinking, which is fantastic. I'm actually, um, before this comes out, I will have just interviewed um, William Porter, who wrote Alcohol Explained about just all of the things, right, about explaining what alcohol does and and why moderation is is almost you know impossible once once you're sort of in that withdrawal cycle right. or once you have that hit hit of dopamine, and just having those conversations are something that most women like those resources they don't even know is out there because we talk about at work like I remember sitting around the office. Everybody talked about their cleanses. Everybody talked about their whole 30. Everyone talked about how they were trying to quote unquote, be good with eating, but then weren't able to, or they're trying this new thing. If you mentioned alcohol, it was like dead silence. Like nobody was having that conversation. Totally. Oh, that's so true. We're all drinking it and no one's talking about it, you know, because you don't want to be labeled or it's awkward or, you know, like to bring up alcohol 
without a meme or without a joke or without the glamour and glitz of it all is just, it just falls flat out there. Or like you said, for me, I know I was so afraid of being labeled or misunderstood or like, dude, I just want to talk about it and to talk about it. I've got to let you know that I'm struggling a little bit with it. And if I let you know, I'm struggling a little bit with it, then, oh my, what does that mean? Are you going to treat me different? Um, are you going to look at me different? Are you, you going to watch me if I pour a third glass of wine? It's just, it was felt too risky. And again, coming from, coming from a faith background, that, that is kind of the niche that I want to bring to the table in such a great discussion, kind of a round table discussion of so many great people in this conversation. Which so are most of the women in your community also faith-based? Um, I would say a lot are not all. Yeah. Uh, but I would say a lot are because I think a lot of women picture this. It's like, you know, at the water cooler in your corporate job, there's like the Bible study in the church world. Yeah. Well, you know, we're going to talk about certain things in our Bible study and we're going to not talk about certain things in our Bible study. And alcohol is certainly on the taboo list. Oh, really? So I don't go, just full disclosure, I don't go to church. I'm not religious at all. Yeah. Um, so like, I don't know what's talked about in Bible study. Yeah. Alcohol is, is one of those kind of like you would say in a work situation where people are like, ah, third rail. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I mean, unless it. you're joking about being hungover, like it's not, you know, it's not very safe to talk about. So as a Christian mom, I had like the double down. It was like double shame, double failure, double isolation, double down. Because now, and throw my personality type in there too, being an Enneagram one. Okay, triple down mm-hmm. <laughs> of shame and like not good and like get it together and like you're living a double life. That's that's wrong. And it was really not in my personal relationship with God that I was feeling that way. It was really my relationship with myself and other people that I was feeling that way. Well, people are always say like, when you finally stop drinking, like your insides match your outsides, right? Right. You're in alignment. You don't have this big secret that you don't want. Like I used to go to the bus stop in the morning, standing with my eight-year-old with my little two-year-old alongside me. And if other parents were there, I wouldn't want them to look at me too closely or in the back of my mind, it'd be like, if they knew I drank a bottle a night, they might not want their kids to hang out with my kids. And it was not to that point at all, but I certainly felt um, it was something that was in the back of my mind that I was like, they, I don't want them to know this. I don't want them to know this about me because uh, if they really knew me, would they still like me? Would they still respect me? Would they still trust me? Do I even know, like, or trust myself? Yeah. (laughs) So Well, and now, like, I think one of the benefits of not drinking and being cool with it is like all of that chatter is gone. Like your mind is so much less quiet. You're just, you know, I don't know if you... I don't really like the word recovery. Um, That's not my jam. I, you know, in my mind, like when I was drinking daily or weekly, I was recovering all the time. Like I was constantly recovering from drinking. Now I'm just living. Like I don't, you know, 
It does. I very much the same. In fact, a lot of the language I use in sobercis, really sobercis is short for sober minded sisters mm-hmm. um, because I love this term and I, everyone that has worked with me knows it well. And I kind of describe it sober minded to me is different than even saying I'm sober, uh, which is not really, I don't really use that word a whole lot, even though I'm AKA sober sis, but yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it's really short for sober minded sisters is just too long. And so yeah. sober is really stuck, but I really like saying I'm sober minded because to me that, that really means a broader picture in my whole life. I'm present I'm awake, I'm aware, I'm alert, mm-hmm. I'm sober-minded in my own life. Like, yeah. look alive, Jen. You have an enemy out there. This world is hard and harsh. Be sober-minded. Um, it's it's guarding and protecting you as well. Yeah. And so I like that. Um, and I also use words like alcohol-free lifestyle and, you know, being the best version of myself versus sober or recovery or addiction. Um, yeah. And I find too that those words in dealing with so many gray area drinkers are not words that people really resonate with in the gray area because again, maybe, maybe there's a little aspect of fear, denial. Um, yeah. Well, you don't need it, right? You don't need it. Like I basically tell people, I mean, you know, other than my podcast and my work, cause everybody now, now I'm out, but for years, <laughs> I would just say, oh, I quit drinking or I used to drink and I don't anymore. Right, and I mean, even on my, um, on my, and somehow I'm weird. Cause I also want people to know that I used to drink, like not in an embarrassed way, but, um, and this is pro- like, I'm like, I'm not one of those people who never drank. Like I'm I actually used to drink total. a lot. Yeah. Right. right. Um, right. So, so I totally know what you mean. Like I describe myself as a recovering corporate ladder climber, a retired people pleaser and an ex red wine drinker. Like that's like, yeah, that's who I am. Yeah. I like that. That's good. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I know. And we talked earlier, I am working on the recovering, recovering people pleaser. I'm getting way better about it. Um, (laughs) And, and it, by the way, it feels a lot better and it's not as hard as you think. That's true. Practice makes, well, progress. I always say progress over perfection and presence over performance. Yeah. Well, I absolutely love the work you do. I hope anyone listening to this got some really good stuff out of this and new information that they didn't have before. Um, Will you tell us like how people can find you and just a little bit about the work you do and, you know, all that kind of good stuff? Yeah. Thank you so much for the opportunity to do that on your podcast. Um, So I do have the uh, 21 day reset that starts at the beginning of every month. But if women aren't even sure about that and you just need something for tonight and you're just like, Jen, I just want to check you out and and, and get some practical tools for tonight. I really recommend going to sobersys.com easy to remember. And there you can download my free guide and get on my email list and just get to know me um, because I do send out emails that are just of value. I hope to you on a daily basis where you can just get a little nugget. And um, if you, if you like what you're reading or you just know for sure that you want to try this 21 day reset, um, I'm sure you'll put the links below, but if you yeah. go to 20 uh, sobersis.com forward slash 21 day challenge, you can sign up for whatever next reset is going on. And so that is where um, hundreds of women are coming every month and joining together in this big group, but then breaking up into these small groups 
which is where real connection is happening. And then for many, after the 21 day reset, they're like, man, I'm feeling so good. I just not quite ready to, to, for this to end. I want to keep learning. I want to keep going. I do have a 10 week online course and I'm very active in that on a weekly basis, doing like live Q and a zoom calls and really rolling up our sleeves into how to handle obstacles, boundaries, self-care, how to course correct, really get practical there and give you the foundational tools. And then after that, I've just launched here in 2021, my latest thing, which is called Project 365. And I take women through their first year of being alcohol-free, celebrating all their first and creating opportunities to connect with others who are really wanting to go the distance. And again, just committing to a year because I think that's how it works is almost setting small goals, crushing them, getting to the next goal, um, but doing it with support all along the way. And yes. so, yeah, it's not like 2190, 365. Yeah. <laughs> and for some people, they're like, I just need one, one night yeah. of help. And that's where I say, go back to my free guide. Yeah. And start there. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on here. I really appreciate it. For sure. Look forward to some stuff you and I can do together in the future. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.